Okay, good morning. Hope everyone's doing well. We are, uh, you could sign up our Lunch and Learn series. We have now have generous sponsorship, so the Lunch and Learn series is going to be free. You do not need to pay for it, either weekly or for the entire season. We've got a great lineup of speakers. You could arrange lunch through us. You could bring your own lunch from home. But uh, I think that begins next, next Wednesday? Next week. So it completes our Wednesday morning lineup, which has been going really well. So um, next Wednesday, sign up. Okay, we're going to begin Chaye Sarah today on... Perech of Dalit, Pasagalov, chapter 24, verse 1. In the middle of Chayesara, that is approximately what we got up to last year, I believe. Chapter 24, verse 1, Perech of Dalit, Pasagalov. It is in the middle of Parshas Chayesara. We read Chayesara this week, right? I think we do Chayesara. Page 108 in the art scroll. Page 108 in the art scroll. Says the Pasuk. The Avraham, or just to give a little background again, to give a sense of context to the Parsha, this is towards the beginning of the Parsha, but of course the Parsha begins with the story of Sarah's death. Sarah's death is remarkable because her cause of death. Today, if you were to open someone's death certificate and see the cause of death, it might say clogged arteries, it might say high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, uh, cancer, God forbid there's a million and one illnesses. Sarah's cause of death was unusual. You know what it said on her death certificate? Cause of death? She was scared to death. We use that expression, somebody can be scared to death. Sarah was literally scared to death. Why? Because Avram uh, ends up not, of course, slaughtering his son, as we know the end of last week's Parsha. And uh, we learned from here, I just mentioned this the other day, I don't even remember where I mentioned this, but we learned from here the importance of how to deliver news. Right? For some reason, Jews get a, in particular, get a great thrill by delivering bad news. They love to share bad news. They're excited. Who could they call and tell the bad news? Did you hear who died? Who's sick? Who this? Who that? So, I don't know why. It's unfortunate. It's tragic. So, yeah, so it's, uh, it's very important. So, people get a thrill by delivering the bad news. So, someone comes to deliver the news to Sarah. I don't know if you heard. Avram took your son, your only son, your beloved son, you waited nine decades to have, and he took him up to the top of a mountain, and he lay him down on an altar, and he took out a machete, and he lay. He was a- Sarah expired. She died. She didn't wait to hear the end of the story. Uh, the proper way to tell the story is. I want you to know everybody's okay, everything's fine, there's nothing to worry about. But listen to this crazy thing that almost happened. So you see from here, Sarah, Sarah dies. And she's 127 years old, and it's a testimony to her, her, her uh, youthfulness, and to her beauty, and to her uh, righteousness and nobility, that the report separately, 120 and 7. Of course, Avram then goes into the negotiation the, uh, to purchase the Machpelah, a very serious negotiation. In fact, there's a beautiful interpretation some say, uh, I forgot where I saw this, some say that this was the 10th of Avram's tests. One of the Rishonim, I forgot which one of the Rishonim, counts this, not last week, not Akedas Yitzchak as the 10th and final test. On Shabbos we spoke about tests, not to view them as challenges, but to view them as opportunities. One of the Mephoshim says, it wasn't the Akedah. You know what the 10th test was? Maybe the hardest of them all. It was being a mensch. You see in the negotiation with Ephron Hachiti, in the beginning of this week's parsha, Avram, who is grieving, who's suffering the terrible, sudden loss of his wife, had every right to be curt, had every right to be short with, his, with Ephron in this negotiation, had every right to say, God promised me this land. What are you, crazy? You're charging me for it? And not only are you charging me for it, you're charging me an exorbitant amount. But not only did he not 
Not only was he not rude, he, uh, as always, carried himself as a complete mensch. And so uh, perhaps this is the final test that Avram surpasses, which is even when we have every right in the world, we're exhausted, we're tired, we're stressed, we're anxious, we're mourning, we're grieving, and we have every right in the world to be rude, Avram nevertheless passes his test, and he is a great mensch in his interaction with Ephron. We learn a lot from here. I think we discussed it last year. Uh, Ephron Hachiti, you know, he, he presents one way, but he has another intention. When, I think we talked about last year, that you communicate with words and we communicate also with not only words, but with what's in our heart. Avraham is able to read not what Av- Ephron is saying, Avraham is able to read what Ephron really intends. So Ephron says, you know, what is this money between good friends? Take it for free. And Avraham understands that there's no free gifts in life. In fact, we learn from here the Gemara Baba Basra says, Sone matanos yechia, that a person who hates gifts will live a long life. Don't seek freebies. Don't seek handouts. Don't live on gifts. Now that's a complicated pasuk. There's actually a big discussion about that pasuk. Because if you have a society where people refuse to take kindness from one another, you're going to have a very dysfunctional society also. Part of chesed is not only learning how to give chesed, which is the hallmark of this week's parasha, we'll talk about in a moment. Part of chesed is not only learning how to give chesed, part of chesed is learning how to receive chesed when appropriate. So one has to qualify this pasuk, this Sonei Matanus Yechia, one has to qualify the pasuk, the Gemara, that a person who hates and rejects gifts will live a long life. But it means don't be swayed by getting free things. People stop to think clearly and strategically and and, uh, make self-destructive decisions because they're they're so interested in getting the freebie. And so name Matanas Okay, so that's Ephraim. That brings us up to Avram concludes the negotiation. He buries his wife in what is Marasamach Pela, the eternal resting place of our great matriarchs and patriarchs. The significance of Chevron, the Shabbos is the great Shabbos Chevron, where tens of thousands of people go to Chevron. Every year I say I want to run a trip to Israel to just whoever wants to go Chevron for Shabbos and go to the Marasamach Pela to Davin and and every year. I don't have the guts to ask you, Chavit. So anyway, so uh, someday. Yeah, no, she would go, but the, for me to go, me to go and leave her with the six kids—that's not going to happen. She'll tell me to. Yeah, Chevron has great significance. Sure. So Perich of Dal, the Avraham Zakein Baba Yamin Vashem Beirach is Avraham Bakol. Avraham has now reached ripe old age. And God has blessed Avram with everything. So it seems to be no transition there. Avram has achieved great uh, length of days. Rabbi Klein, Zolzain Gesundten Stark, when people ask him, How are you? Rabbi Klein always answers, One thing I know, I won't die young. <laughs> right? Kenai Nahara, 93 years old. So Avraham Zakein Babayamim. Avraham achieved a very nice long life. And then there seems to be no transition out of nowhere. And Avraham says to his loyal servant, who rules over everything he has, place your hand under my thigh. And swear in the name of God, who is both the God of the heavens and the earth, that you will not accept a daughter from my son, from the Canaanite women. I don't want you taking any of these women where we live. None of them are suitable for my little Yitzchak. So where are you going to find a, 
There's no Jadate. There's no Soyu at Sinai. Where's Eliezer going to find a wife if not from the Canaanite women where they live? I want you to go back to my homeland. The same place, Lech Lecha, that I had to abandon, that I had to leave, that's where I want you to go back. And from there, take a wife for my son. Eliezer hesitates. And how do we understand that hesitation? Some of us explain why was Eliezer hesitating? He had a daughter. He had a daughter. He thought she's good for Yitzchak. You know, so... Okay, he hesitates. How do I know that when I find a suitable woman she's going to want to come? How do I know her family is going to allow her to go? Avram almost doesn't respond to that worry. What does Avram say? Be careful. Don't bring my son back there. In other words, even if the woman refuses to leave there, I don't want you bringing Yitzchak there. We have a new home, we have a new place. God, who took me out of that place to begin with, from my homeland, from my father's house, who spoke to me and who swore to me that this land is mine, so relax, buddy. We don't need to go to your daughter yet. I'm telling you, God's got a plan. He wants God, who has fulfilled His promise and His plan until this point, also has a plan. Who's going to marry Yitzhak? Go back there, find a wife. And she refuses to go after you. You are released, you are free from this vow. Just one thing promise me. Do not allow him to go back to live. We've taken Yitzchak out of Canaan. I'm sorry, we've taken Yitzchak out of there. I want you now to not bring that back into Yitzchak. So Eliezer puts his hand under Avram's thigh. Why did he do that? Because that's where the Mokam Hamila is. In other words, normally we say today, when people, there's a fight going on. I, I spent half of my life doing mediation. It could be between a husband and a wife. It could be between two people having a business fight. And it's very gratifying part of my job when we achieve shalom. And it's something special about our community that when people have a fight, they try to resolve it within the community, within the Torah context. But if I had a dollar for every time when people are in this fight, someone said, Rabbi, I swear I'm telling the truth. Take the Sefer Torah out. Right? These meetings are all in my office. They point to the shul. Take the Torah out, unroll it. I'll swear on the Torah right now. He's a liar. I'm telling the truth. If I had a dollar for every time, we would be having this shear in our brand new catering hall. So, so in those days, in those days, there was no Sefer Torah. There's no Sefer Torah. You can't swear on the Torah. You can't swear on a pair of tefillin. What are you going to swear on? So what do you swear on? What's the only mitzvah that existed? A tangible physical mitzvah at that point? Was the mila. Now it doesn't mean literally the mila. It means the area of the mila. His leg, his thigh. There's discussion. Was that a contemporary cultural way of, of taking an oath? A personal way? Um, one of the Mephoshim here says, when you put a hand under a thigh, you're essentially, what are you doing? You're sitting on the person. So it's Eliezer's way of communicating, I am subservient to you. You're sitting on top of me means I feel the weight, I feel the burden of this promise. So Rashi says it's the concept of the Mila. There was no Sefer Torah, there was no mitzvah to swear on. So the only mitzvah you could swear on was the Mila, was the bris, was the circumcision, that area. Others say, as I just said, no. I forgot where I saw it, maybe the Sforna, the Ibn Ezra, that when, when a person puts their hand under your thigh and you're sitting, you're sitting on them. And that's their way of saying, I feel the weight, I feel the burden of this promise. I, I swear to you, I'm making a promise to you, and I feel the weight of this promise, I'm not going to let you down. Okay, so that's the overall first part that we're going to read. And of course, the question is obvious. What is the connection between Avram's old, and God blessed him with everything, and then he turns to Eliezer and says, Hey buddy, put your hand under my thigh, I need you to make me a promise. 
There's no, there's no transition here in the Pesukim. Moreover, what is the meaning of the term Vashem Beraches Avram Bakol? God blessed Avram with everything. What's everything? Everything is a very, very ambiguous term. So look at the Ibn Ezra. Hold your question just to the end because the people are listening at home. Says the Ibn Ezra, Vashem Beraches Avram Bakol Ba'orech Yamim Va'osher Vechavod Ubonim what did he bless them with? These are all the things that we would hope for. Length of days, longevity. Osher, wealth and prosperity. Kavod, honor. Ubanim and children. Vizu kol chemdas adam. And this is all that a person could wish for. V'dar shabitu haisa shema bakol, tzarech lozid beiz mishar. Fine. And there's another pshat he quotes from the Gemara. Baba Basra we'll get to in a moment. But says the Ibn Ezra, you know what bakol means? It means literally everything. Whatever you would hope for, health, longevity, Nachas, prosperity, all of those things that we all wish for, that's what Avram, Hashem blessed Avram with. Now, the problem with that pshat, the problem with that pshat is, the next pasuk seems to reject that pshat. God blessed Avram with everything, except Avram turns to Eliezer and says, with everything that I have, I would be grossly unhappy, dissatisfied, incomplete, unless I get this one thing. So how could Bakol be everything if he's missing something that he's defining as so vital and critical to who he is, to his happiness. So what's Pshat in Bakol? What did he mean that he blessed Bakol? So, moreover, by the way, that the Torah describes Avraham as having revolutionized the world. He introduces the world to ethical monotheism. He makes the most significant spiritual transformation the world has ever seen. The globe was covered with pagans, with idolaters. Avram introduces a concept of monotheism, ethical monotheism, and he transforms the entire world as we know it. So you think that same Avraham, I mean the Ibn Ezra is describing, that what did it mean that Avram felt so blessed? The same Avram who provides the greatest spiritual transformation to the world is now blessed because his portfolio is doing well. He's excited because his real estate holdings are still high. Is that, is that what Avram would be measuring life are those the metrics through which he would be defining success? So what does it mean, bakol? What does it mean, bakol? So there's a number of different pshatim. The uh, Ibn Ezra made a reference to the Gemara in Baba Basra, and the Ramban, Nachmanides, has a long conversation about this, but I don't want to spend much time on this. But uh, one opinion is, bakol means that Avram had a daughter, and her name was bakol. We don't, we don't name our girls that. You know, we name Sarah, Rivka, Rachel. I don't know any girl named bakol, but... Um, that's literally what, how the Gemara in Baba Basra understands it. I mean, Avram who completed, Avram who observed all mitzvahs, there's a mitzvah after all of pru urvu muluas aret. you have to fulfill the mitzvah of propagating the world, and that mitzvah is defined, at least according to Beis Hillel, as a son and a daughter. So God blessed Avram with everything, he completed that mitzvah, God blessed him with a daughter, and her name was Bakol. And her name was Bakol. Grammatically, you need another bet. It would have to be he blessed him with, it would be Beth Bakol. Right, with Bakol. Okay, good. Grammatically, it's not right. Good, that's a good point. That's a good point. The Parshas Drachim, written by the author of the Mishnah Lamelech, asks a, another compelling question, which is when it comes to Yitzchak, Avram is so concerned that he find a proper wife. If he has a daughter named Bakol, what, she's, she's okay to marry a, a non Jew? It's okay for her to intermarry? He doesn't care about her? Because at least the grandchildren will be Jewish. Avram, we don't see anywhere that Avram's concerned with finding a proper mate. mate. Not only that, by the way, who's the mother of Bakol? Hagar. Correct. It's uh, Hagar is the matter of Bakol. 
Keturah, her name is Keturah later. So, um, if that's the case, technically, at least according at this time, Yitzchak could have married Bakol. Right. And they would have been able to continue Avram's line because they shared different mothers. So, um, so Parshat Jerachim says, why isn't Yitzchak set up with Bakol? And why don't we find concern for the marriage of Bakol? So some suggest that Bakol died young. Avram wasn't married about finding her spouse. Bakol died young. Where do you see an allusion to this? So go back a few so from the beginning of the Parsha. And it's, when Sarah dies, the Pasuk testifies. Vayavo Avram lespod lesarah in Pasuk Beis, second Pasuk of the Parsha. Vayavo Avram lespod lesarah, Avram came to eulogize his wife and Veliv Kosa. He cried for her, he grieved for her. What letter is small there? Chaf. Remove the Chaf. What is that word, right? Vayavo Avram lespod lesarah ulivita. Avram came to mourn for Sarah and for his daughter. Really, Levita would be her daughter, but okay, let's leave that out. Libita and his daughter. So maybe he had a daughter named Bakol, and the reason he didn't uh, set her up with Yitzchak or wasn't concerned with her finding a spouse is because she died young, and Avram grieves in the beginning of the Parsha. He's grieving both for Sarah and for this daughter. That's one, uh, one pshat. Rav Moshe Feinstein in Igros Moshe doesn't like this uh, literal pshat. He doesn't, uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein quotes it. He doesn't like it. But that's one way of understanding it. There's a second pshat of what Bakol means. Not that he had a daughter. The second pshat of what Bakol means is, and this is uh, quoted by many of the Hasidish Rebbes, Rav Noam Melech and the Pritzadak, Rav Tzadak Akoin of Lublin and uh, others. To, tonight, we have any Chabadnikim here? Tonight is the something of the Rebbe something. Is that tonight? What is that? Yeah, once the president came out from prison. I don't know. We're having a fabrengen with the shtibel minyan chevra. They asked me to give over some chasidus. So I'll talk more about this. The Rebbe Rashab? Is that one of the Rebbes? Yes. Yeah, so something happened with him tonight. I'm not really sure. The Rebbe Rashab. Anyway, so he also writes it. They all write it. That what does it mean, bakol? It means the shechina, Kodesh Baruch shechina, divine presence is described as having a feminine component. We describe God in a feminine sense. God is associated with a feminine aspect. So the notion of Bakol, Hashem Berach as Avram Bakol, was Avram was able to bring the Shekhinah down to the world. God blessed Avram that he was a spokesperson, he was an advocate, he was able to introduce the world to Shekhinah with, with, it, with it included femininity. Yet another pshat, Rav Hirsch, uh, not exactly on this, but uh, elaborates, um, that maybe, maybe Avram Bakol means not a daughter literally, but Avram was blessed with a feminine side. That, Vashe, that Avram was Zakein Baba Yamim, he was older, he didn't need to be so macho anymore, he wasn't so masculine anymore, but he had a feminine side. What does that mean, femininity, and how does that apply in the realm of Avodah Hashem? The Maharal talks about the man in the context of being the Mashpia, and the woman in the context of being the, the Mechabel. I'm not getting into it, don't worry about it. But the point is that the Gemara in Baba Basra that says that Avram was blessed with a daughter, Bakol, so some understand that literally there's a daughter, Bakol, and others understand it figuratively that either it means the Shekhinah or Bakol means femininity. There's different Pshatim. But I wanted to suggest something else, and this is what Rav Hirsch kind of hints to as well. If you go to the end of the Parsha, the end of the Parsha testifies that it says, Vayitein Avram es kol Avram gives everything he has to Yitzchak. So you could understand there, when it says Avram gives everything he has to Yitzchak, 
It doesn't mean coal as in everything. Here are my real estate holdings, and here's my portfolio, and here are my assets, and here's my this, and here's my that. What does it mean? It means Avram gave to Yitzchak the concept of coal. Vayitain Avram as coal asherlo liyitzchak. Avram gave the concept, the the way in which he lived. Coal. He gave his coal, his way in which he lived to Yitzchak. What does that mean? So you see, with each of our avos, this treasure, they each have a concept of coal. In fact, we say that in our benching. At the very end of benching, what do we say? What do we say? God should bless us and coal asher lanu, that we also have inherited this concept of coal. God should bless us and the coal that we have. We'll define coal in a moment. And commotion is Baruch Hu Avram is Yaakov. Just like our forefathers were blessed with coal. Namely, Bakol, Mikol, Kol. Those are references to three different sukkim. Avram it says, Vashem Berachas Avram, Bakol. Yitzchak it says, Mikol, that Akash Baruch Hu with Yitzchak is a reference to God gave him Mikol. And with um, Yaakov, when he re- reunites with Esav, Esav says, Yeshli Rav. I've got a lot. What does Yaakov say? Yeshli coal. I've got coal. So there's this concept, there's a way to live life called coal. There's a philosophy of life called coal. God blessed Avraham with coal. At the end of the parsha, Avraham gives his coal to Yitzchak. In benching, we refer to the fact that we too are grateful to Hashem for being inheritors of the concept of coal, just like our forefathers had coal, bakol, mikol, Coal. So what is this concept of coal? So Rav Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, the great 18th century Hasidic Rebbe, explains that bakol in his, in his uh, Kedushas Levi. He says bakol is the concept of humility. Bakol is the concept of being humble, being appreciative with what one has. You see, Esav and Yaakov, it's a perfect example. Esav says, Yeshli Rav, he wants more. Yaakov feels fulfilled in life. Whatever I have, that's what's from Hashem. So, bakol. I have everything. Yaakov says, yeshli kol. So, what it means, bakol, with humility, is I have everything God intended for me. Let's see what I can do for others. So that's the transition, says Rebbe Levi Yitzchak. Vashem beirachas Avram bakol. God blessed Avram with everything. Vayomar Avram elavdo. So he turns to Eliezer and he says, Now that I have everything, I have everything Hashem could ever give me. I have everything I could ever want. Because I have coal. Because whatever I have, it's everything. Because if Hashem determined that this is what I need, then by definition, I always have everything I need. So now that I have everything I need, I can concern myself with Yitzchak's need. If I live my life caring about my needs, I don't have room for anyone else's needs. All I care about is me. All I care about are my interests. All I care about are my needs. But if I live life with the philosophy, Bakol, I feel blessed that whatever I have, I have everything. So now I have room to help other people try to get their needs because my needs are already filled. So that is the bracha. Hashem berachas Avram bakol. God blessed Avram with everything. And that's what Yitzchak gets. Kol. And that's what Yaakov has. Also, kol bakol mikokol. We say, Arachman Yivarech, to bless us with kol. Not meaning bless us with great assets and real estate and portfolio, although those things would be nice, but it means bless us with the capacity to accept whatever we have in life as everything that we need. That's the ultimate blessing. 
the ultimate blessing is to accept whatever I may have is everything that I need. Isn't that the morning Yeah, you fulfilled all my needs. Absolutely. Okay, so let's go on. So I, we're going to skip ahead because some of these psukim we covered, I think, last year, actually. Um, so let's uh, let's skip ahead and try to get to some new stuff, but I wanted to share that insight of Bakol, the concept of the swearing. Does it mean uh, the makomila? Does it mean subservient? Yeah, it was the Ibn Ezra who says subservient. I feel the burden, I feel your weight on me. And Eliezer was prepared to, uh, to feel the weight and the burden of fulfilling this promise to Avram. So that's the transition. Okay? Now, interestingly, go to Pasuk Zion. Avram refers to, to Eliezer. He says, God, God of the heavens, who took me from my household, and so on. But a moment ago, if you look, he refers to God as, go to Puzzle Gimel, swear to me in the name of God of Elokei HaShemayim ve'elokei HaAretz. In Puzzle Gimel, Avram refers to him as the God of the heavens and the God of earth. Now we get to Puzzle Zion, Hashem Elokei HaShemayim, God of the heavens. What happened to God of the earth? He's not in control of the earth anymore? So that bothered Rashi. So Rashi writes, V'lo amar ve'elokei HaAretz, u'lamala amar ve'ashbiach ha'vegomer. Because here in Pasuk Zion, Avram is referring back to Eretz Moladeti. He's referring back to his homeland. So Avram says, when I was in my homeland, he was only Elokei Hashemayim. He was the God of the heavens, but no one down here on earth knew it. That memo had not reached earth. No one here was worshipping him. No one was appreciating him. No one was expressing gratitude towards him. Nobody was recognizing God. So when it comes to Eretz Mu'ladati, he's only Elokei Hashemayim. It's when he makes Eliezer swear, now, he says, now I've spent my life trying to promote God in this world. Now he's Elokei Hashemayim. Ve'elokei Ha'aretz. Now people here on earth recognize God as well. Okay, let's keep going. Pasuk Yud. Now we continue with the story. Pasuk Yud. Everyone has it? Pasuk Yud, page 110. So Eliezer took ten camels from among Avram's camels, and he set out with all that he had from Avram's home, and made his way to Aram Naharayim, to the city of Nahor. Now what does it mean? He took ten camels from the camels of his master. Where else would he have taken these ten camels from? Stolen from the neighbor? Where, where else did he take the... He, he, he uh, hot-wired a car? What, why is it telling us he took these ten car, camels? So Rashi says, These camels, You see, he didn't just take ten camels from anywhere. He took from his master's ten camels. Why? What was different about Avram's camels than everyone else's camels? Did they have an extra hump? No. Avram's camels were different. You know why? They were muzzled. Why were they muzzled? Because Avram cared, was scrupulous, that they not graze on the, from the field that belonged to others. So look at the Sif Seichachamim. Look at the Sif Seichachamim, the super commentary on Rashi. What was bothering Rashi? Again, 
We, we could spend our time every week just studying Rashi, what was bothering Rashi, and how did Rashi answer it. See, later, when, when Rivka gives the camels to drink, it says... Where is it? I lost the place. Vatecha, Vatomer, Vayaretz. I can't find the place. But somewhere it says Vayiftach that they opened. What does that imply if you had to remove something or open something, expose it? That beforehand it was closed. The Gemara in the first paragraph, Zayin tells us that God does not allow the animals of the righteous to falter. In other words, God, just like the righteous live their lives, would never steal. The animal is an extension of the righteous person. So that God protects the righteous person by not allowing their animal to falter. It's Pinchas Binyar, the, the great animals of Pinchas Binyar. So the Gemara there. So I don't understand, so why do you have to muzzle these camels? The great Avraham, so of course God's going to make sure that his animals don't steal, don't graze from fields that aren't his. See, Yishlam Ardaf, Apichain, Zima Mosam, Shalayochlu, Afilu, Mitzvah, Rishus, Rab, Meshu, Hefker, Kimistam, Habal, Mizyashim, Hem, Ach Eliezer, Ever Avraham, Meirov, Chasiduso, Shayabo, Lorat, Lehanus, Mishal, Achem, Afilu, Minamutter. So it's because strictly speaking, you know, if, you graze, if, if you're walking with your animal in the public thoroughfare, the edge of the street is considered almost the public domain. And even if it's private property, people are nisyayish, they, um, they relinquish ownership of it. So if an animal were to graze from that area, it wouldn't technically be considered stealing. Technically it's permissible. So even though technically it's permissible, this is to testify just how scrupulous and vigilant Eliezer was that he muzzled the animals to make sure that they wouldn't even graze from here. So these were not just ordinary camels. These were special camels. These were camels that were being raised in nobility to not even eat that which is permissible. If there's any shash, if there's any doubt whatsoever, that maybe it didn't belong to, uh, it didn't belong to their owner. It's Pasuk Lamed which is really... Oh, that's what it is? Pasuk Bez. Thank you. Perfect. He unmuzzled them. Okay, continuing. Pasuk Lamed Beis is where it describes Vayiftach, what the Sifzi Chachamim was making a reference to. Okay. Um, also, keep reading in the, in the Pesukim here. So what does he do? Vayakam, I'm sorry, Vayelech v'chol tuv Adonav biado. The Pasuk describes that he took ten of the camels from his Adonav, from El Avraham. Vayelech, then he left. V'chol tuv Adonav biado, and all of the good of Avram was in his hand. What is that a reference to? What was in his hand exactly? So Rashi says, Shtar matana kasav liyitzchak akol asherlo, k'deshi ikfetu l'shloch lo betam. He had the, the will. He had uh, he, the assets, the ownership of Avram. He had access to it all. Look at the... Um, look at... What did I just see? The Sforno. You see that Eliezer, before he took leave of Avraham, got his permission to go. In other words, you see a concept of... Uh, that you don't just walk out, you don't just disappear, but he got permission, so to say, permission to be excused from the table. He got permission from Avram to be excused to go on his 
journey. And what's the Chotov Adonav Biado? Unlike Rashi, the Yisvarno says, He took money, silver, gold, and clothing. He took the camels. Vayelech means he got permission from Avram before he left. And he also took money and clothing, which he didn't need permission for. And why didn't he need permission for? Because he was Moshel Beso. He was in charge of Avram's home. He was the broker. He was the guard. As the guardian, he had access. He didn't need the permission. Okay, continuing. Yudalaf. The camels knelt down outside the city towards a well at evening time. At the time, when the women who come to feed the camels come to the well, so Eliezer positions himself nearby but outside the well area, and, uh, and the animals kneel down. Vayomar, here's a shalshelas, a very special cantillation which is the three triple uh, note, which appears four times in the Torah. We don't have time to get into it, but why four times? Why, what do those four times have in common? But Vayomar Hashem Adoni Avraham Hayom Chesed Im Adoni Avraham So Eliezer calls out to God. Eliezer is a pretty righteous servant. He davens to Hashem and he says, God, Master of Avraham, arrange for me today, do a great chesed with my Master Avraham. And what's the chesed? I'm looking for a sign. I'm standing outside the whale area, the collection area, and the women of the city are coming. And the one who will say, Bend down, I will bend down with the pitcher so you could drink. And not only will she pour for me to drink, but she will as well allow for my camel. That is the one that you have designated. That is the one that you are testifying as for Yitzchak. And through her I will know. You want to do a kindness? You want to do a taiva for me, God? Make this easy for me. I don't have a profile. I don't have, you know, today, <coughs> I get a lot of phone calls also for Shiduchim. Now we have a lot of kids who are growing up and they're dating and they call me. So I don't know if you know today, if you're involved in Shiduchim, do you know that today kids have resumes? <laughs> Literally, they use that term. They have a resume. A resume, in, in my day, uh, good guy? She's a good girl? Good looking? Good, kind? Great. Let them go out to learn about each other. Even my day, which I like to think wasn't that long ago. Maybe, maybe we asked, where'd they go the year in Israel? Or maybe we asked, you know, what, what is she in? PT, OT, which T is she in? But today, they literally, you get an email with the resume. Every detail of their life, you get an email of the resume. So Eliezer didn't have a resume. So he comes and he says to God, I don't have a resume, God. You're the one with the big file cabinet in the sky. You want to do a chesed for me? Here's the test. I don't have a resume. Here's the test. Whoever is going to bend down to pour for me and for my camels, I know God, she's the one. And he had not even finished, he had barely done making this deal with God, appealing to God for help, when all of a sudden who emerges on the scene? Rivka, who is the daughter of Besuel ben Milka, Eshes Nachor, Achi Avraham. So she fulfills the criteria of being related to Avram. Vichada al Shechma, and the picture is on her shoulder. So what's going on here? So Rashi says, Ata Usa Hochachta. She, the one who fulfills this, Hochachta. What does the word Hochachta mean? What? Proven. 
She is proven. What are you trying to prove? Rashi tells us. She's proven that she has ingrained within her this character trait. She is a performer of chesed. Now, you see, Avraham, that's his bumper sticker. That the Pelkovitz likes to say every family has a bumper sticker. You know, some say Harvard or die. Some say uh, every family's got a bumper sticker. What do they live for? What do they live by? So Avram's family, their bumper sticker on the back of the camel said Chesed or die. You know, Chesed or burst, bust. What was what is the bumper stickers? Uh, chesed or bust. That's Avram's bumper sticker. So that's what Rashi says. Eliezer understood if this girl is going to be compatible with Avram's offspring, it's got to be chesed. That's what he's testing for. That's what he wants to make sure. That's what he wants to know. Now, there's a long kliyakar here, and that's what I want to spend our remaining time on, this kliyakar, because he addresses what I think is a fascinating question. First of all, by the way, the Sforno says, it's interesting, Eliezer doesn't just say, you know, let her provide water, because maybe she could just drop off a nice bottle of uh, Zephyr Hills and uh, go back on her way. But for Eliezer, it's that she has enough wisdom She's discerning to see he is exhausted, to bend down. Right? What, is that? what does Eliezer say? The one to whom I will say, please tip over your jug so I may drink. And she says, drink and I'll give to your camels. She, for, for, according to Sforno, Eliezer is not just looking for her to have chesed. He's also looking for her to have chachmah. See, there's two kinds of chesed. There's a chesed with chachmah, and there's a chesed which is absent chachmah. Some people do chesed, which is, it's, just, it's just foolish chesed. They're doing what makes them feel good. They're not doing what the other person needs. You know? When it's not a coordinated chesed, when it's not an informed chesed, when it's not a wise chesed, Eliezer is impressed because Rivka displays a chesed that is informed by chachmah. She has wisdom. She knows she needs to lean over for him to drink. She knows that, that uh, the camels will need as well. This is a different type of chesed. The chesed of chachmah is not a responsive chesed, but is a anticipatory chesed. See, Rivka sees his level of exhaustion, and like I said, doesn't put down the pitcher and say, it's not sneeze for me to pour in a man's mouth, I've got to walk away. She pours it into his mouth, knowing that he's thirsty. So the, the uh, Beis Halevi, the Beis Halevi was Rav Yosef Dov Halevi Salavechik, the same name as the Rav, the Rav's great-grandfather, was known as the Beis Halevi. So the Beis Halevi writes that this is a true attribute, the hallmark of chesed. Not just a chesed of being responsive to fill a need, but real chesed is being able to anticipate what the need is and to fill it. And the Beis Levi says, that's pshat in the Pasuk at the end of Megillus Esther. The end of Megillus Esther, Megillah describes Mordechai as Doresh Tov Le'amo. He's a great leader. You know what my favorite line at the end of the Megillah is? That he's Ratzoi L'Rov Echav. That Mordechai is, you know what, he's beloved, he's appreciated by most of the Jewish community. So as a rabbi, it makes me feel better. You know, every time I get that email, that anonymous letter, I'd never vote for you, you should be fired, you're... So he's, you know, even Mordechai, even Mordechai, the hero of Megillah Esther, he's, he's L'Rov Echav, you know? Yeah, more than 51%, you're okay. And Mordechai had more than 51%. So, so it, just, it uh, testifies about him, the Megillah, that he's beloved by Rov Echav, but it also says he's Doresh Tov La'amo. What do the words Doresh Tov La'amo mean? He seeks good for his nation. So the Beis Levi asks, I don't say, is there a leader who doesn't seek good for his people? Do leaders seek to destroy their people? Do leaders seek to undermine their people? No. Leaders may be delusional in what they think is good for their people. They may be distorted, delusional, foolish, 
drunk in what they think is good for their people, but leaders act in their people's best interest. I don't mean dictators, I mean meaningful leaders. So what does it mean, Doresh Tov Lamo? So says the Beis HaLevi, and he connects it to uh, Rivka. It means that Mordechai didn't just respond to the needs. Doresh, what does it mean, Doresh? Lidrosh. What does it mean, Lidrosh? Is to seek out. Lidrosh, he was Doresh Tov Lamo. He sought out the chesed. He sought out the needs of his people. That's how Rivka really distinguishes herself, not just responding, but seeking out, being, uh, being proactive. But I want to end with this Kleyakar. The Kleyakar in Pasuk Yudalad. Is this the Pasuk? Yeah. Perish Rashi, Ru'i Hilo Shetahe Gomelas Gomelas Chasadim. The Torah says, Eliezer says to God, if she does this, God, she has proven that she is proper for Yitzchak. Why, how is that proven, said Rashi? Because she has characterized herself as chesed. What's the connection between the story of Ephron, who sells Maras HaMachpela, and now this? Ephron is also a Canaanite. Ephron descends from the Canaanite. And he can be described as having an Ayan Hara. An Ayan Ra didn't mean he gave the heebie-jeebies to Avram. Avram could wear a red bracelet and everything would be okay. <laughs> After all, tomorrow's Machpela, so he'd be easily be able to get a red bendel and everything would be okay. No, that's not what Ayan Hara means. Ayan Hara means that he was, he was stingy. Ayan Hara means that he wished poorly. Ayan Hara means that he was critical. Ayan Hara means that he would lack generosity. And Ayan Hara is a person who money means everything to them, so they're greedy and stingy, and they're very, very, very um, non-generous. So in fact, says the Kliyakar, indeed, one of the best distinguishing characteristics of a person, if you want to understand a person, are they good, are they bad, what's their quality? Understand their relationship to money. Understand their relationship to money. If you remember, this was the whole Shabbat Shuvah what I spoke about. Mm-hmm. You know, the way we relate to money says everything about the way we relate to ourselves, to Hashem, to our role in the world. Everyone is recognized by their pocket. You want to test a person? You want to uh, evaluate a person? Go to their money. The year Mativo and see how they're inclined. Are they generous or are they non generous? Are they greedy or are they fair? So, says the Kliyakar, Eliezer was surely present when Avram was negotiating with Ephron. And, and Eliezer sees what's Ephron's identif- uh, distinguishing characteristic? He's greedy, he's stingy, and he's super ungenerous, non generous. So he understands that that's the character trait you have to avoid. We need the opposite of this. For Avram's household, his son, he needs someone who doesn't have an eye in Hara, but has an eye in Tova, who's generous and not greedy at all. And that's why he says, So Eliezer says, if I ask her for a drink, 
So, you know, it would take, you'd have to be a real low life. You'd have to be a real low life for somebody who is dehydrated to ask you for a drink and to say no. So, Eliezer doesn't evaluate Rivka based on whether she will allow him to drink. What impresses, what's the test? Whether she'll say, and do your camels also need something? Why? Because a person with an ayin hara, a person who says, that's my water. Water was a commodity. You didn't turn the faucet on and get water. Water was a precious commodity. So a person who says, that's my water. And that's my, that's all the water I get today. That's my share of the well. I'm, I'll give it to you. You're a dehydrated person. But to your camels, you're on your own, buddy. So a person with an ayin hara is never going to share water beyond the person who asks. They'll never volunteer that water for someone else. So Eliezer says, if she's volunteering her commodity for beyond what I ask, what does that reveal about her? Ayin tova. She has a kind, generous eye. Bam, she meets the qualifications. That's what I'm looking for. But here's what the Kliyakar continues with that I want to get to. Hold on, Hensha. V'yatsara remez hizkir gemalecha, lashon gemilas chesed karav lashon gemalecha. So the Kliyakar sort of says, you know, you ever notice? Isn't it fascinating? We refer to chesed. What's chesed called? Gemilas chasadim. An individual who does chesed is called gomel chesed. We describe Hashem as gomel chesed. And how is Eliezer testing Rifka with what animal? What's it called? A gamal. A gamal. Mm-hmm. Chesed is really called camel chesed. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were to really translate it, we, ter- we translate the term gemilas chasadim or gomel chesed as a bestower of chesed. But it really is the same word as gamal, as camel. So Eliezer is looking for someone who does camel chesed. Our rabbis taught in the Medrash Tanchuma, as a gamal zu bavel shenemar as gemulcha shegamal so the Kliyakar says, you know why she's going to be predisposed, why she's going to have an affinity to want to feed the camel? Because the camel's called Gamal, and she loves to be Gomelas Chesed. So she will be, she'll have an affinity, she'll be taken by the camel, that's why it's a sign. It's not the dog, it's not the cat, it's not the horse, but it's a camel. Specifically a camel, because it will trigger for Rivka, the name Gamal will trigger for her the concept of Gamilas Chesed. She loves an opportunity to do Gamilas Chesed, and that's the connection. And says the Kliyakar, if you doubt me and you think, oh, come on, what kind of connection is that? Chazal, our rabbi is taught in the Gemara Chulen, Es ha-chasida chasidus in chavroseha. One of the birds that's listed in the Torah is called a chasida. What kind of bird is a chasida? A stork. A stork. Why is she called a chasida? No. Not because she brings the baby. Why is she called a... Why is she called a... Why is she called a chasida? Because she does chesed by sharing what she has with her other birds. A camel is also generous. I don't know much about camels. I don't know whether they store the water in the hump so they could share it with others. But the Kliyakar is at least uh, offering the suggestion. The Kliyakar opines that the Gamal is called a Gamal, just like the Chasida is called a Chasida because she performs Chesed. The Gamal is called a Gamal because he is Gomel Chesed. Again, someone could research whether camels are generous. I don't know. So her affinity and love and affection towards the camel is really a symbol of her affinity, love and affection towards chesed. 
The gamal is the symbol of gemilas chesed. She takes care of the gamal means she is committed to taking care of gemilas chesed. Our rabbis taught the Gemara in Tainus, any woman, bride, whose eyes are beautiful, you don't need to check out the rest of her body. Now what that means is, no, 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 one second. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean it in a prust way. Doesn't mean in a prust way. It means you don't have to check her out. It means the eyes are the windows to the soul. Now it doesn't mean literally, oh, she's got beautiful, shiny blue eyes. It doesn't matter what her dress size is. That goes on the resume, by the way. Now you have all these boys. I want a size two. I promise you, I had no idea what a woman's size was. Any more than I knew. I, I didn't know women's sizes. But today, boys, good from boys. Size four max. In the resume. So, so the Gemara says, when you have your list of what you're looking for, don't put her size. Say, the list... Shh, shh, shh. Today, the boy should have in the resume, she needs to have beautiful eyes. What does it mean, beautiful eyes? So go back to what the Kliyakar was saying to begin with. Ayin hara, ayin tova. He's explaining the Gemara in Tainus, when the Gemara says, check out her eyes and you'll know everything about her, it didn't mean does she have shiny, gorgeous, blue, radiant eyes. It means, is she generous in spirit? Eyes means, you know, my, my grandfather used to say, you know, uh, I would take him shopping. At the end of his life, my grandfather lived with us and he wasn't well. We'd go shopping and we'd go to the mall and I'd buy him an ice cream. He'd order something big and afterwards he barely ate it and he'd always say, my eyes are much bigger than my stomach. What does it mean my eyes are bigger than my stomach? You know, what we see is a reflection of what we want. What we see is a reflection of our attitude towards the world. Eyes are very powerful. By the way, when you look into someone's eyes, what do you see? You see yourself. The pupil is a mirror. When you look into someone's eye, you see a reflection of yourself. But anyway, the eyes are the window to the world. So, an eye in Tova, it's the Mishnah and Pirkei Yavos. Bilam had an eye in Ra. Avram had an eye in Tova. So Eliezer knew that, um, Eliezer knew that Avram's son Yitzchak must marry a girl who has an eye in Tova. And that's what he explains. It means, check out the girl's eyes. You know, when you're on a date and you walk by the homeless guy. Did she step on him? Or when you were carrying the leftovers from my most favorite dessert, did she say, you know what, let's leave this with this guy, he looks hungry. You could see, then you'll know everything about her. You don't have to be bodek, you don't have to check out the rest of her resume. Understand when you pass the homeless person, understand the way she talks to the waiter, understand the way that she interacts with uh, so-and-so, you understand. If she's generous, then she can now be complete in the other character traits. How did it know that? Just check out her eye. Understand that she generous or greedy or stingy. How did it know that's all you need to do? Says the Kliyakar, because they learned from Eliezer. Eliezer does not stand far from the well and say, is she blonde or is she brunette? Is she size 2 or is she size 12? Is she... Uh, what, what did she get on her SATs? What did she... He doesn't ask those questions. One thing he wants to know, and one thing only, is she kind? If she is, you know everything you need to know. By the way, I think this is a very critical lesson for young men and women on Shiduchim as well. I, I, I phrase it differently when, when I have the opportunity, when I'm privileged to have opportunity to interact with them. They ask me, what should I be looking for? I also say, it, I phrase it a little bit differently, but the capacity to compromise. Are they a giver or a taker? 
If someone's a taker in life, you can never satisfy them, they will never be satisfied, and you'll struggle in your marriage. If someone is a giver, and you're a taker, then they'll never be, you know. But if you're both givers, then you have the ultimate happiness. If each party is concerned with making the other party happy, you have two happy people. And when each party is concerned with their own happiness, you have two miserable people. And you have the divorce rates that we have. So that's what the Gemara is saying. You want to know what to look for? Of course you have to be compatible. Of course you have to have a physical attraction. Of course you have to have all this other stuff. I'm not oversimplifying it. But if you don't have, if you don't see in the other person a generous spirit, the capacity to compromise, the ability to give, then forget it. You don't even have a chance. Uvader Pshut on Yerel, just finish with this. Says it's not a coincidence. You see, when he sets it up with God, Eliezer says, "If she feeds my camels, we're good to go. I know she's the one. First girl, amazing. If she doesn't feed, then forget it." But the Kliyakar notices he doesn't say to her at the well, "Hey, could you give me to drink into my camels?" He doesn't mention it. If she says, Hey, your camels look thirsty, let me give them also, I know she's the one. Not only that, if she says, She cares about the camels even more than she cares about Eliezer, I know. He says, they're not mine. They belong to Avraham. Who's going to end? Who's going to own those camels in the end? Rivka, if she's the one for Yitzchak. So she's really taking care of what will be hers. And and the other thing the Kliyakar says, and many others here say it. He says, you know what? I'll only know when she's done feeding the camels and me. I'll only know if my test worked. And that's why he doesn't give her the jewelry until, you know, maybe when he finished drinking and the camels are now drinking, that's when he should be giving her the jewelry. He doesn't give her the jewelry then. Says the Kliyaka, when does he give the jewelry? After everyone's done drinking. Why? Because Elias is thinking, you know, maybe she's got some ulterior motive. Maybe she's giving me to drink. And when this is all over, she's going to say to me, I've got something I'd like to sell you. She's going to say to me, Whatever the case is. She's got, could you put the rock back on the well? She's got some ulterior motive why she's being kind to me. It's only when, she, when Eliezer and the camels finish drinking. And she says, is there anything else I could offer you? We're done. And he realizes there's no ulterior motive. Her motive is pure. She just wanted to be Gomel Chesed. That's when he gives her the jewelry. Because that's when she proved that her motives are pure. And that her chesed is pure chesed. It's not a chesed which has an ulterior motive. It's not a chesed which is driven by some selfish need. It's a chesed which is pure for the other person. That's when he gives these, these, uh, this jewelry. All right. Looking forward to next week.